0: You're listening to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Ampliance, an API first headless CMS and DAM. Replatform was part with Ampliance in 2022 to bring their wealth of industry knowledge and experience to our audience, gives us a fresh perspective on e commerce technology and customer experience from a strong voice in the headless commerce community. Today, you have the unbridled joy even of listening to me, James Gett, and my co host, Paul Rogers. How are you, mate?
1: Yeah, good. I think this is the first one we've recorded this year, right?
0: yes because the first release of 2022 we recorded in december um yeah. to get ahead of ourselves it is it's a new bright year how has how has the year started for you and vivon
1: mental um yeah <laughs> same but, as last well, year then yeah i was expecting to have like a really nice like easy start to the year and everything's just gone crazy and i feel like yeah i'm being chased left right and center and yeah just loads of things going on But uh, i think on some level it's a good thing um what about you
0: yeah, well, uh, this week was a week of planning and not earning, ready for next week's uh, chaos to start. So let battle commence. Um, and it's a it's a new calendar for us for for uh, content for replatform. And happy new year to our regular listeners. Thanks for tuning back in, and a warm welcome if you're joining us for the first time. We hope you don't put you off. Uh, a world of econ wonder awaits. Do subscribe to get episode alerts, and we'd love you to like us on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple to satisfy our fragile egos. So let's do a TLDR of what we'll cover today. So the topic is, when do you need to re-platform and what justifies the investment and effort? The key things we're going to cover is valid reasons to re-platform, building the business case for investment, and scenarios when a company has to pivot and throw away an existing migration to something else. So that's quite an interesting one. Um, Does that set it up
1: uh, well enough, do you reckon, Paul? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think there's lots of little subtopics, but yeah, Perfect.
0: Cool. I'm sure we'll meander down uh, side paths as well as we usually do. So let's start. Question one is: What are the justifiable reasons why a business needs to rep uh, re-platform? So I, I'll kick off, and then we're just going to go to and fro on on common reasons and valid reasons. This is so. Number one is total cost of ownership. This often seems to be a key driver, where the cost in terms of like percentage of GMV or in terms of the amount of spend of capex and opex is prohibitive to what the business is able to or willing to spend and it's unsustainable and that's increasing so even though the revenue might be increasing the percentage share of the gmv is not coming down as it should do over the lifetime so cost is often one of the key drivers why financial teams um, and e-commerce teams start to look and reconsider their options
1: Yeah, and then, um, so I'll go with another one. Um, And I think this is the one that I'm seeing the most, to be honest, is agility. Agility. Um, and I feel like everyone a lot of brands that kind of maybe aren't on these SaaS platforms in particular um, are just frustrated whether like, other brands or their competitors are kind of moving faster or introducing new features via kind of third parties that don't exist in their ecosystem and I think um, your point on cost as well same principle like I had a call yesterday with someone that is spending a lot of money on their online store um, but actually they don't care about the expense it's more what they're spending that money on and like it's entirely focused on upgrades maintenance you know like discussions around integrations that probably don't need that level of discussion and like yeah it's just very little uh a very small proportion of their budget is going into new features and yeah. optimization and improvements that kind of stuff yeah that's
0: a really good point actually I, I have a client where the the um the cost of doing they can do stuff on the platform because yeah. the, the the vendor's flexible they've got a development team it's a proprietary system it's not done through agencies but the issue isn't Ability to do it. It's the time to get what should be just a simple. Well, we have a pre-existing connector. Let's turn it on and do some configuration in the back end, and that is maybe a day's work to get that up and running. Versus this is a one-week project. It's four thousand pounds cost rather than a thousand pounds. And then when you amplify that across all of the elements in a roadmap that a client wants to push through, suddenly what should be Q1 um, takes you into Q2 and Q3. So yeah, exactly. Agility is a really good point, and the cost associated with that, and often. The other cost with that in a platform is if you have a platform where it's not so simple to just turn things on because they're pre-built and pre-proven. So you take like apps within Big Commerce, Shopify. Uh, even in Shopware's ecosystem, where actually the, the pre-development and QA work's been done at a code level. So when you turn it on, you're not having to do extensive QA of it because it's a proven um, uh, additional feature. Having to do all of the QA, you pay more to the development unit testing, you pay more on your own UAT, and actually that slows you down in terms of where you're focusing your time and effort. And, and then I think linked to that, another important one is you, you've referenced earlier the, the limited ecosystem where they don't have the same level of partnerships with third parties and that can be either development partners or you know feature providers where you suddenly have to go and do a proper scoping project in order to get a capability turned on because there aren't three or four existing partners in that ecosystem
1: yeah i'd agree i think the majority of the reasons can be linked probably back to ecosystem and um cost i think the other one that on what you just said about the app piece and like stability and because i think the, another like a really good example of that is like with the SAF platforms where they've got their standardized payment options which are available via configuration options all pre-built pre-made like you know maintain the platform level i think that versus paying 50 grand to move payment provider on some of these other platforms um is yeah another big kind of example of some of these things we've already talked yeah. about um, another one, so maintenance, patches, upgrades, you know, the amount of time and effort on both sides, the deployments, all of that kind of stuff. Um, again, probably one of the biggest ones for me. And I think the most common conversation I've had that's resulted in the replatform recently is two things. So one is all of those costs, looking at it, bundling it together, maybe with a few additional features suddenly you've got 100, 150 grand, let's re-platform. Um, and that's the business case. Or the other one is unexpected costs. So, you know, you've got a 20K um, earmarked for a, an upgrade and actually suddenly the agency says it's 60K. Um, and actually that's kind of the frustration that then leads to a re-platforming project. And I think that kind of like building of, a, of, an, of an equal capex budget or... Um, at least justifying a large proportion of it, and then looking at a three-year cost model. Yeah. I think that's kind of typically where I see a lot of people moving, particularly to the SaaS, uh platforms at the moment.
0: Yeah, and that upgrade one's interesting. So I've got a friend who's a like a, um, a, a, uh, a program director, project lead, and he works with uh, one of the the big, I guess they're still called Monolith platforms but the legacy platforms I'm not going to name them um but they have a client who's a ma- massive like you know 200 million plus um uh, complex retailer b2b b2c international yeah. and when they move from the the old version to the new major version it costs it's taken 12 months to finish the upgrade and it's been a million pound plus because it's not a it's not a a, a um a, yeah a, a separated like a, application layer and front end all of the logic um that, that sits in the back end has had to be updated because the system that they've created is so heavily customized. And it's taken ages and the amount of development resource in-house to manage that and do all of the um the release management, the testing. And it's slowed them down for the business in terms of what they can release incremental new functionality because they've had to get all the core existing stuff stable in the new version before they can release the new features. And and you know you realize actually when even when legacy systems say yes, we are We've got a headless capability, but actually the logic layer is not, not separated and therefore anything you've built on top of that logic layer, you have to then redo it when the underlying logic changes in a new release.
1: Yeah, I've, um, I actually had a very similar conversation before Christmas uh, where yeah, someone was on one of those more enterprise, monolithic platforms and it would have cost more to upgrade from their older version to the new kind of cloud-based, more agile, ecosystem-oriented version, which I don't believe is the case, um, to a commerce tools, or you know, it would have been five, 10 times more than a big commerce Shopify kind of yeah. project. Um and yeah, same principle. And I think um yeah, it's probably going to be a lot of those around actually in the next kind of year or so as
0: well. Yeah, exactly. I I think this is a really important point, isn't it? Is is if you were on legacy, no matter how much modernization you've done in your stack no and how much customization you've done, each time that legacy system has a major release, There, it's a, it's not a simple update. It's a major project and it needs to be, you need to do risk assessment and you need to treat it as a separate project which has a cost stream to it and that can slow you down internally. That is often, as, yeah, as you've referenced, the, the tipping point for saying, actually, we really should consider our platform watchers now. Is this still the right technology? If we're going to spend 500 grand on this and it's going to take us six months, oh, we better spend 500 grand on a new platform and get in that more modern tech stack straight away. Um, Another good example I've got is is closed systems where there are um, certain um, uh, platforms that have been uh, provided to the market from a retailer who developed their own enterprise systems and has done very, very well and been successful. They've then turned themselves into a service company like in the way that Amazon did. Um, But it's a closed system and you can't customise it You can't say it doesn't have that separation of API layer and and the extensibility where you can create a custom version. You're on an Instance and you are dependent on their roadmap and their release cycle for added functionality. And you can't influence it that heavily. So say, for example, you suddenly decide you want um, Algolia or Klavu as your um, search merch tool, but that's not what they use in their platform. You can't just get it requested as a as a project implemented on your instance that has to go through their internal development evaluation to determine whether it's the right thing for their overall platform, which is normally biased by what's right for their business model. Um, And it can lead to a lot of frustrations where people can't use the technology they want to.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my next one, and this is a bit uh, of a smaller one, I guess. But again, I have this conversation a lot more. But and, I, and I'm actually going to combine it with another one. But I guess one simplifying. So you know, they want to maintain less. They want to be responsible for less as a business. Um, they want more SaaS tooling um, that you know is out is kind of readily available provided as a service and is constantly improving so like a tech stack essentially built up of that and they want to kind of essentially build out a tech stack in a more modern way Um, yeah where where kind of things are connected you can kind of improve different things along the way or like I said SaaS products are improving along the way etc and I think the other one that's kind of like slightly connected to that is just because of the control aspect is the ability to do more internally that isn't technology related. So, um, yeah, either kind of owning different parts of the platform or, or even development actually like taking development in-house that's a big trend in the SaaS space and I think you know suddenly you're worrying more about front end and less about back end um, we've talked a lot about in housing development and it's not an easy thing to do but I think it's easier with the SaaS platform certainly than it is with some of the um, more complex monolithic platforms and you yeah, know when you have to think about hosted infrastructure and everything else um, so that's another big trend and another thing that's kind of driven replatforming yeah. projects as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, yeah, lines of one of the the um, of the areas I I was thinking about, which is alignment with technical business principles. So often, I when I sit down in projects, the starting point is to say, what are your business and technology principles? What do you believe in? What don't you believe in? How do you want to work, and, and why? And does your current platform align with that, or is it providing barriers? And are those barriers prohibiting, you know, your your strategic uh, goals? A good example is I had one um, premium fashion brand and they were working with a, uh, a solution um, that open source had been customised, but they to achieve the functionality set they wanted, they had over 30 third parties that were plugged in and some of them were, were point-to-point integrations, others were using API, some were just like hacked in and therefore not very stable. Some of those third parties, then the third party um, stopped Trading, so they had to swap it out and work out how to manage that project. It wasn't in an ecosystem where it was plug and play and easy transferable. You had upgrade challenges where third party updates their their product. It then has to go through a project in itself to assess the upgrade version, do that um, development work, do the testing, and it was they they realised that their web ops team were just spending all their time managing relationships with third parties and not doing anything proactive. So their their technology and business principle going into uh, platform assessment was: we need an ecosystem where we don't have that replicated, and we can focus on trading and growth, and not on just making sure that these plugins work. So sometimes that that whole kind of operational piece of how do we want to work can make a current platform that you've got not fit for purpose, or it might be that the platform's fine, but the way the solution's been designed is not right, and you need to change that, and that might mean shifting partners.
1: Yeah, and I think alongside that uh i've had two conversations recently where like an internal team has become a big part of that where like this kind of complicated like systems kind of architecture approach like the way that everything works is kind of intertwined between agencies third-party products and the internal team And, and there's a project that uh i'm kind of loosely working on which is um essentially taking a very complex big bespoke implementation with a particularly complex erp integration it's not like this whole thing that just can't move and putting in you know like a soligo or equivalent shopify or a big comment like just simplifying the whole piece and and the whole process is geared around everything needs to have standardized well documented documented apis like yeah just simplify the whole thing it's that same point that i said before but i think from a technical perspective your point is yeah definitely really relevant.
0: Yeah, it is, it's interesting, actually. In one of the clients I worked with a few years back, the the trigger for evaluating e-commerce platform wasn't e- an e-commerce trigger. It was a back-office trigger. So the business was changing ERP and introducing middleware. So, yeah, similar to Celigo and iPass layer. And the current platform they had didn't have any um, existing uh, projects where that integration had been done. There were no clients using... Either point to point or through middleware, that ERP. And that was perceived as a big risk because of the nature of ERP integrations. I mean, they are massive projects uh, in their own right and and often cause lots of unforeseen headaches. So that then triggered a re-evaluation of well, actually, is the issue the e-commerce platform? We've got to move to this ERP. It's a it's a, a global solution we're putting in. That's the, the most important system for the business because of, of all of its touch points. And that then led them to relook at the market and go and find where there was um, people with experience of integrating platforms and which platforms had the best proven deep connections into that, that um, ERP.
1: I think uh, that actually is relevant to a point we haven't discussed, which I think we'd, probably, we'd both see a lot of as well, which is, um, is big business change, investing loads of money in something, let's review other parts of the business at the same time. It's a bit of a like transformation project. Or you know, we're investing all this money over here. Actually, the ecom platform is really important. Let's look at that as well. Um, I think that's another quite often another reason why people look at re-platforming. Or it's more like investing in the ecom platform or the channel, I guess.
0: Yeah, and and one more that that I guess it's um, it's less critical than some of the ones we talked about, especially less critical things like cost of ownership and overall solution design. But the admin tooling that the business teams have. Access to in order to do day-to-day management of the website, you know, catalogue management, updates, removals, trading, merchandising, you name it. Um I, I've worked with a few clients where they were on a an old um vendor, not not one of the market leaders that you'd seen, like the Gartner Quadrants and Forest of Waves. Uh, yeah, really nice. Uh, platform lots of features but the admin tooling was so convoluted to do anything so setting up a new promotion that wasn't like a half hour job like you'll see in some, you know if you go into the back end of a lot of a shopify big commerce etc it was taking them up to half a day to set up a simple promotion because they had to go through one part of the system to create a new promotion then they had to go through another part of the admin to set up the promotion code to attach to it then they had to go to the developer developers to actually enable that so that it was live and functioning Uh, and by by the end of that you've lost half a day setting up a basic promotion code and if if you're trying to do it every time you know if you're if you are a discount driven retail which a lot of high street is oh my god you've just lost a shed load of working time doing basic things that should take a matter of minutes to do Uh, and that was one of the drivers it's all well actually the opportunity cost for us of staying on this system is x thousand pounds which is in the tens of thousands pounds per year in lost lost time and effort anything else we missed any other key reasons when on projects you've worked on and clients you've worked with of why they start to look at a re-platform and a justifiable reason to do so.
1: I think um, not necessarily justifiable, but and this is not this ties into a lot of what we've talked about because the rationale would probably be driven by a lot of what we've talked about. But I think new team or team member is a big reason quite often as well. Like I've had clients where you know the business is actually perfectly fine on a magento or, or any platform but actually the person's come in and said you know last brand i worked at grew from one to 50 million in a year on shopify therefore you know we need to go and move to shopify or you know like it, all of this stuff's gonna be much easier in big commerce or whatever else i think um that's another reason not necessarily always the right reason
0: uh, that's my question is it? Is
1: is it okay yeah. let's pick this apart because
0: Sometimes it is just fine. What would make that a justifiable reason? What evidence
1: is required? All the stuff that we talked about, really. um, I think, you know, they need to show a cost benefit or a functional benefit or... Yeah, exactly. efficiency benefits and I think before this we talked about a potential episode in the future which was I said there was an example of someone I spoke to that was on Shopify got sold the dream like perfectly happy growing doing really well as a business good like brand experience etc got sold the dream of Magento by another agency because they mentioned the word internationalization um spent all this money moving to Magento tiny team wasn't really the right fit and then now they're probably going to have to write it off and um yeah. and go back to Shopify or oh, like that's on the table, um and you know that was an example of someone going to the CEO and selling the dream and I think that also happens quite a lot as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. The the panacea for all your business woes is to move technology, whereas the issues aren't always technology based; they're often process. I think that's an important thing. Is when we talk about justifiable in this episode, it's not just oh well, Shopify can do this better or Big Commerce does this or Salesforce does this. It's it's what what are the current business issues? What are the impediments to growth? What are the, the goals and strategic aims where a different type of technology gives you an affordable way of achieving that quicker, better, more you know, more efficiently, et cetera? And that's what justification is. And it, it's fine, yeah, you're right. It's fine. If somebody comes in with experience from another business of having gone through that transformation and can articulate that in the context of the current business, and that is You don't have to go through the selection process if you've already got a solid business case and you can save yourself a lot of time and effort.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, so on to your next point, which is kind of very relevant to this. Um, I think it's uh, the other, there's a few variables. And I think as long as it's, you know, there's a justifiable argument, timing I think is really important as well. Is it a good time for a business to make a big change, et cetera? Um, I think that is really important. Um, your next point, which I touched on, was I've kind of interrupted you and just gone um, AWOL here a little bit. Um, but in terms of kind of sunk projects and a time where like when it's sometimes good to just like write off a project, I think that's a really interesting one because I see that a lot at the moment as well where people have invested loads of money. One, I think there's been loads of change in platforms recently. Like what would have been an optimal, considered optimal, best-in-class, modern two, three years ago is definitely not going to be the same now, because I think there's more noise about these simplified SaaS platforms or potentially more, slightly more simplified headless builds than maybe what people were talking about a couple of years ago. Um, but I've definitely seen examples of where people have gone into this kind of enterprise stack um, realistically the mistake was that they hadn't thought about what they needed enough and the pros and cons of different approaches and platforms and for girls they've just gone and said you know this is enterprise it will scale therefore we'll put our money into this and actually it doesn't line the team project hasn't been planned properly they don't have the resource internally to even scope or like work with an agency to really scope it out properly um, and like, there's one example that I have in my head where they decided to go with this um, you know, API first uh, platform and then build out this really complicated technology stack and then well into the hundreds of thousands, they wrote it off and now they're moving to a SaaS platform. And I think that is gonna be quite a uh, common thing that we'll see over the next year or two as well, um, where I think for a while, it was seen that the SaaS platforms were too small and they probably couldn't scale endlessly. Um, And then you've got the ones in the middle that are probably not necessarily as modern. People don't necessarily believe in the vision. Lots of uh, horror stories flying around. And then you had this like dream approach, which was APIs first, best of breed, you know, like microservices, like build something that ultimately will scale, but it's probably not necessarily aligned with, with some of the SMBs that have gone down that route, and I think that would be an interesting one. We'll see now is people kind of essentially building these like massive capex projects and then backing out of them. Yeah.
0: yeah, this is an interesting question. Why do some businesses write off projects and pivot to an alternative? And is it is it justifiable or is it jerk? And I, I, I've got one. Well, I've got a point related to that actually because you, you've been talking about you know underestimating complexity and the cost and the time frame, and suddenly what was a six month project to replicate as is in a new modern composable stack or headless stack or however you want to call it is now 12 months in is, is 500 grand over budget. Uh, they can't get the right resources in. It's stagnating. It's losing internal buy-in. And I, I've seen this in a, in a, a large fashion brand and, and I've seen it in, in, uh, in other businesses too. And the, the issue is always poor project structure. Yeah. So, One use one example I've seen where a a technology decision was made by an IT team to go down a particular route, a particular vendor and a particular architecture. But that technology decision was made in isolation of the business functions. So there was no consultation from an operational model and strategic point of view for e-commerce. And digital it was about technology principle and businesses don't exist as technology principles or just business the two work together and technology is the enabler of the business vision and that getting that wrong meant that the wrong you, know, you didn't have the right stakeholder set you didn't have the right project definition the technology could have Potentially, been the right fit wow. if it had been scoped correctly and the solution design was aligned with business need. What what it ended up with is a first release of a product which has no meaningful admin function for business users to do what they're used to doing. They start going, go, "Well, where do I create my campaigns?" How do I set up my merchandising rules? How do I go and change my sort order here? And all the stuff you, you just get in an, e-commerce plat- an off-the-shelf, mature yeah. e-commerce platform. Um, so, yeah, o- often this is what, what screws it up. And then the cost of fixing that is way more expensive than saying, bin it, pivot, go to a, a proven
1: platform yeah I think nine times out of ten this stuff will come down to yeah the client making a poorly informed decision or not being diligent enough or and the thing is I guess the client will always argue they they shouldn't need to do that if they work with the right setup in terms of providers but I think this is where and this is probably all of our episodes or at least half come down to this which is if you're going into a re-platform and uh, project as a as a business, you need to be super diligent, and you need to do your kind of research. You know, make sure that you know you're bringing in the right people to tell you how much planning needs to be done. Because yeah, I mean, we had another client who are pretty big. They've got a really small econ team, very non-technical. For some reason, they made this decision independently to move all of their European sites to what is a very new, bleeding edge platform um from a bespoke platform went live 12 14 months later should have been a three-month project you know a month later they had to roll back just because like so many of like the business processes just weren't considered and they were trying to kind of you know work with it and everything else but it just had too much of a hit on other departments and they had to roll it back and write off the project and they'll probably go and look at replatforming again in a year but um yeah I think almost all of it comes down to that like initial phase probably pre-SI phase uh, where you just need to get your kind of ducks in a row and yeah think broadly.
0: Yeah it, it going to, going down the route of, of, of changing technology has an impact across the business and all those touch points have to be understood and the right stakeholders consulted to come up with an optimum view because what MVP means to an IT team is different to what it means to a business team and then it needs to have a, a level of oversight and governance to be able to tie the two together to create what is an acceptable scope and then make sure everyone buys into that process. But yeah, I, I mean, linked to that, one of the reasons I've seen a, a project be burned and an executive team say, right, we're writing it off, which unfortunately sometimes means people lose job roles as a result of it, which is horrible. But um, one of the, the reasons is. The project, as you flagged earlier, the complexity spiraling and it moving them away from what they're focused on and, and diverting from what they call strategy. So they become a technology company rather than a retailer. And the executive team don't want to be a technology company. Suddenly, that engineering function has had to go from five people to 15 people. And to achieve what they needed to, that needs another five, 10 people over the next 12 months. You suddenly see the cost of that side of business dwarf what license fees and support fees would be if you took an off the shelf uh you know whether it's sas or whatever you know whether it's a magento uh, you know solution um and the executive team make that call and say that we, we we're losing our our strategic focus and that's to the detriment of the overall business
1: yeah absolutely i think that probably ties up that one
0: yeah is there anything else you've seen where there is why people have written off projects and uh, and yeah, swallow that that cost from a justifiable point of view. anything else we've missed.
1: I think that same point around new people and bias and you know maybe stakeholders not being brought in and just continually creating reasons to write projects off. I think that whole like, internal piece is another one. Um, I also think sometimes like because I think there's two <laughs> almost like two types of businesses in my head when we do these episodes. You've got the smaller ones where it's an easier decision to go to the SaaS platforms and you maybe need a bit less preparation. And then the bigger projects where it's a much bigger decision and there's a lot more stakeholders and a lot more factors at play. Um, And I think with the bigger ones, uh, sometimes those projects will take years. And I think sometimes you'll get to a certain point and actually it's like, okay, shit, we went down this or uh, I should probably shouldn't swear on the podcast, but um, or we've done... Got- uh, let's, well, let's make
0: 2022 the year of swearing on the podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so we've gone down this route. And, you know, we've had to because of all these reasons and actually these platforms over here, which would have been much better for us, have now suddenly introduced all these features or fixed all these issues and now they're the right route. and True yeah i think that's another one that i've seen a bit if it's it's a two-year build and suddenly there's been a huge amount of improvement in these other off-the-shelf platforms and a massive amount of pain going through the build with this more complex technology stuff
0: yeah and one other last one for me actually and i've seen it on with with one of the clients i work with was a a change in in um, either ownership or So it could be a change in financial ownership, like VCs coming in with a different strategic vision, or it could be a shift at board level in terms of strategic focus for the business. So the businesses uh, at an e-commerce level has decided to move, uh, and I had one who uh, were moving um, from an old platform to one of the, the more modern SaaS platforms. But then the business strategy shifted to be more trade-focused B2B and less on the retail. The retail growth had planned to be about seventy. 70- percent of the growth then it switched to to trade now all of a sudden that changed the focus because the platform that they were planning to switch to and they had already had a project and they were already at the point of signing um contracts and had spent time and effort on discovery etc so not a massive amount of money but still cash spent tens of thousands well that platform wasn't um best in breed for trade and they had some more advanced requirements around things like multi-user accounts um, tiered accounts, tier pricing, volume discounts, you know, tax and duty handling, curated catalog management—all of that jazz—that that suddenly makes us a B2B-focused platform far more. Um, suitable and less costly because of the amount of effort to customise. They didn't want multiple platforms. They wanted one platform to do both trade and retail. And then that that meant that project focus being shifted. So sometimes it is, it is strategic changes. Uh, as some Some of those are preventable and others are not. That's just the way business evolves.
1: I would, um, I would say that's a huge trend at the moment. Actually, that's a really good point. So, three of our clients have been uh, have acquired new companies in the last three months. We've had other clients that are like either taken investment from a private equity firm or VC or whatever, and then others are like looking at being part of a roll up, etc. And all of those have had some level of, I think, all of the parent organizations have dictated the platform, or wanted to, like a lot of uh, private equity firms nowadays, will have some level of agreement with a Shopify or some of the big platform companies, and all of the brands will go into it. A lot of um, organizations will have a multi-brand magenta implementation and they'll just pull people in, use the kind of theme uh, structure, use the whole kind of back-end setup, and then just, like, um, essentially uh, style it in line with brand, etc. Like, there's – I think there's – and same with Salesforce. Salesforce have a lot of, like, group um, – groups under there um, – under them. Um, yeah, and I think that's actually massive. That is actually such a really – uh, topical one at the moment because there's just so much MA in the econ yeah. space.
0: Yeah, good point. Uh, let's move on to our third and final question. How do you build a business case for change? So, regardless of what's driving the change, how do you build a business case for investment and and validate that, that there's a reason for doing this?
1: So, I think we probably already answered this in a way. From my perspective, I think usually people will, quite often, people will try and demonstrate a saving over a period of time by migrating and then also showing additional benefit uh sometimes it would be if someone's got specific goals in terms of features functionality you know growing dc etc trying to demonstrate how things would be delivered faster on another platform um other times it might be like specific business goals or like internationalization or whatever else and kind of justifying it by that um yeah they're probably my biggest ones with cost being the most common yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. And it's getting a detailed understanding of cost model. Often people don't think enough about the cost model as it is and the cost model as it will be and comparing where they might have new costs to think about and where they might be able to um, avoid costs in the future. So a few examples of that is you've got license fees. You might be moving from license fee to non license. I've seen this where where cost model for Magento investment was based on using open source and not having a license fee and suddenly saving 80 grand a year from the existing one. That could be spent on additional um, yeah, um, development work that was needed to, to get the open source to where they need it to. Um, but you then also got internal costs to use the platform. Like how much time and effort does it take your team to do stuff currently on the current platform? And how much time and effort can you save because the new platform it has got better admin tools? It's got better automation. It's you know it's set up better to deliver what the, the business needs, or it's got better third party tools with pre existing connectors that can save you time and effort doing things. All of this stuff, you know, to achieve the functionality you need, how much time and effort um, is it? Um, one versus the other, it's a really important cost to think about, uh, and too many people don't. They just look at the the, the, the obvious cost: what's it cost to develop? What's the license fee? And what's the support maintenance?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, the other one um, is, I think there's a lot of bundling. Uh, I see a lot of bundling to justify that. And um, and maybe there's other projects going on in the business. It might be like a PIM as an example or, or yeah, looking at integrations and everything else. And I think, there's you like there's often a lot of opportunities within other projects that are happening to try and you know where you've got expenses like the upgrades we've talked about you know maintenance overheads um unexpectedly high costs for a you know a project or a new feature etc and then pulling those together and building out a bigger project i think um over i'm like a massive fan of building capex projects and just pulling loads of scope together because i think it's more efficient in terms of like how you test how things are released everything else Um, And I think a lot of people try and do that quite often. I think it's easier to swallow if the cost is part of a bigger overall cost.
0: Yeah, I also like looking at the opportunity cost. So the opportunity cost of not moving. If you know you have inefficiency, for example, that client I referenced earlier who's on an old proprietary system and to do simple things like adding marketing tracking tags, which, God, you should be able to do it yourself. You yeah. should be able to drop those into a site without requiring demand. They wanted to, to, to uh, add certain third-party tracking tags. It was going to cost them a few thousand pounds, which was crazy. So you look at all of those, you look at your roadmap for the next 12 to 24 months. You look at everything where you can't self-serve and you look at what you could self-serve on and what the cost of doing it in the existing one is. Um, and it's amazing. I've, I've done this for some projects where suddenly you identify you know 20 to 30 grand's worth of cost per year, for doing things that you should be able to do with your own time or at a much reduced cost. And all of a sudden you find there's a big cost saving in there, which helps you with your business case. And also there, there is an emotional business case. So there's the financial one that needs needs validated. So it gets signed off by you know, the executive team and the you know, financial director, but there's also the emotional one of your team. Um, will a new, will the new platform give your team a best set of tools so that they can be more effective, more efficient, happier, You can give them better uh, job enjoyment, which means hopefully they'll stay for longer and you get a better, more productive e-commerce environment focused on positive outcomes. It's hard to put a number to that, but you can certainly put an an emotional value. And that's equally as important because you want your whole e-commerce team functional, efficient, and happy.
1: Yeah, I think the other trend that I've seen recently, which is not a good one, is um, people recruiting senior e-commerce managers, head of e-commerce, um, and actually, they don't want to work with certain technology stacks. Um, and people, I've had jobs where I've said to people, you know, this could be a really good fit for you, um, and they don't want to work with the technologies, which is, you know, not going to be super common. But it's certainly like, you know, if you go into a job um, to, as a head of econ, you want to be able to do stuff quickly and grow revenue, in particular. And I think the platforms and technology stack probably does tie into that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And actually, it links with some of the other points you made earlier, which is if the business is deciding to, to build out its own internal engineering function and wanting to control more elements like front-end development, you know, the, the whole UX layer. doing that where there is a rich pool of developers with experience of that technology out there is going to be a lot easier for you to achieve that goal than if you are on a platform where actually it's such a closed community that... You're going to very quickly exhaust the ability to to get junior, mid, senior developers. So yeah, really, really good point about that. Is is do you have a a a technology with an ecosystem that that gives you the resource that you need and want?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Anything else we've missed? I'm trying to think of the other things about building a business case for change. Money, money, and return on investment is clearly number one. Um, operational efficiency and ability to execute. Against your strategy, to number two, um, um, efficiency uh, and tooling for e-commerce teams so that they actually have a job they can do and enjoy, and focus on value add three, and then the ecosystem and capability in alignment with your is, uh, you know, what you're trying to achieve as a business. Number four, anything else?
1: Uh, I think that fourth one probably covered a lot. I was just thinking yeah. about ones where maybe you've got like a more you're trying to achieve a more complex, you know, subscription flow or like order management capability or international but i think that all falls into that like fourth one but yeah i think to me they're probably the underlying reason or the most common ones
0: yeah cool well that brings us to the end of uh this episode so hopefully it's been useful giving people a bit of food for thought we'd love to hear what your takes are you know if you've got anything to add if we, have we missed anything what are justifiable reasons why businesses need to re-platform and do re-platform um you know how do you build a business case please do like wherever you're listening or, or um or watching add to the comments message me and paul on twitter linked we'd love to hear from you we don't think we know everything we're always open to learning um from other people um and thanks for listening keep an ear out for the next episode they land every tuesday and let us know of any topics you'd love us to cover uh, but do tell us why so we understand the context for it. subscribe if you haven't already and we'd love a rating if you've liked this episode and for, you know hopefully we'll uh, see you all again next week for the next episode more information on this topic head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts to discuss a project or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail please reach out to myself james gird or my co-host paul rogers via linkedin and twitter thanks again for listening and keep your ears peeled for the next episode